The statistics are grim. One in five working moms say they've been passed over for an important assignment or for a promotion because they have children. And women who take even one year off to have kids come back to earn 40% less than their peers. Working moms outpace, outperform, and outwork their peers. So why don't companies make an effort to support working moms? And how can working moms advocate for themselves in the workplace and in their careers? Frankly, we're tired of asking for a seat at the table. It's time to make our own table, and we're going to talk about how. I'm Zabin Mirza, and this is Moms at Work. Friends and fans, welcome to another episode of Moms at Work, the official Jobs.Mom podcast. I'm Zabin Mirza, and we are on the road to launch with about a week to go until Jobs.Mom is officially live we urge you to subscribe at www.jobs.mom, that's M-O-M, to follow us on our journey. And of course, across social media, you can find our handles in the episode description. So be sure to show us some love. So let's get started. Today, we're talking about something that is probably a very personal and private pain that many mothers feel but don't have the energy or the outlet to examine. And that source of pain is the school PTA. Of course, the PTA stands for the Parent Teacher Association, and that's the organization at our kids' schools that's essentially in charge of hosting events, programs, building school community with the parents, teachers, and students. And for those of you that have seen the movie Bad Moms, you'll know what I'm talking about and where I'm going with this. Um, Working parents typically feel they have no place in the PTA. So today, We are going to be talking about our bake sale blues and the suburban cold shoulder us working moms get when we make any attempt to get involved in school life. And that's in between those long commutes, which was, of course, pre-COVID, but really has anything changed in the pandemic, Um, between our conference calls, the late night work hours, deadlines. So to commiserate, I have with me here a very special guest. She is a working mom, fellow PTA effort maker, a brilliant legal mind, an amazing creative, and an all-around amazing human being. And she has been an incredible source of support for me, even in the short time that I do know her. She is um, impressive professionally. She's associate general counsel at McKinsey. Before that, she was founder and creative director at Gemma Redux, a high-end fashion brand and startup with a purpose. Rachel Dooley. Rachel, thanks for being with me here today on Moms at Work. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm giving you like a giant virtual hug. (laughs) I'm hugging you back. I'm hugging you back. So, so Rachel, I am, I am so thrilled that you could carve out some time uh, to talk with me today on this very important topic. And before we dive into it, the first thing I want to I, I want to do is have you explain a little bit about your background to our listeners. Um, what do you do? Um, where are you in your career? How did you start? How did you end up where you are? Yeah, totally. Um, my journey has been somewhat twisty, I suppose I'll say. Um, I studied mechanical engineering in college. And then it kind of had one of those existential moments or crises, I suppose, that a lot of us have of just like, what am I going to do next? What do I do with this thing? Because most people go into, you know, either obviously into practice, but a lot of people end up in education um, and academia. And I was like, I don't think that that's my jam, right? I, I don't I don't know that I can do more school. But then I did, but I went to law school. Um, and, the, and the real purpose was, frankly, to get to New York City. Um, I was in Michigan and I wanted to come move here. So I went to law school directly out of college um, and then ended up doing sort of patent law that transitioned into tech transactions law. Um, But while I was doing my first few years of of lawyering in the city, um, I was in in big law and in sort of a big uh, law firm, I was on the side using my kind of creative brain to de-stress and it was manifesting in a bunch of things, but most often in in jewelry making. And I was sort of tinkering with it and going down to the garment district and like walking around and just like buying random things. And it sort of snowballed into something that was looking more and more like a brand, a collection. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was just like, I'll make this and show it to people. Um, And funny enough, my sort of break with the brand was it the stylist at Gossip Girl? You remember that awesome yeah. show that's now having a reboot? 
So they picked it up and it was like at the very beginning when they were having a hard time getting, you know, Valentino and stuff like that. And they put me on, they put our brand on um, Blake Lively for, you know, the majority of the first couple seasons. And it just kind of exploded from there. But I was still working at my law firm. And so I was like sending packages out through my mail service at my big law firm <laughs> over my over my lunch break. And then I had to sort of like make a choice, right? It was like you couldn't work 24 hours a day, although I feel like now we do with kids. But back then I was like, oh, I got I to gotta pick. Um, and I went into the fashion world for about seven years full time. I did the, the fashion week circuit. I would do New York, Paris, and Milan. Um, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful, wonderful ride. But then, you know, kids came and kids changed things. And the last fashion week I did, I was pregnant with Layla um, and and she's now in kindergarten. And I was just like, I just, I, I'm worn out. I'm worn out of like selling myself over and over again. I, I love this, but I want it to go back to passion and less about me kind of like selling my wares, you know, and, and doing that whole song and dance. So I came back to the practice of law. Luckily, I was nine and a half months pregnant and went back to my old, you know, my the, the the manager of my department at my law firm. And he was like, if you're serious, we'll take you back. We're ready for it. And um, which was wonderful, which is like, he is an incredible, has been an incredible support for me. Um, and then I, you know, was there for a couple of years and I got a random call for McKinsey. And I was like, well, this is, again, you can't, how do you say no to this? It was kind of the, the same the same decision I faced with going full-time for Gemma. I was like, I can't regret this. I need to give it a shot. And, um, you know, McKinsey, I wasn't really ready to leave my law firm, but they were, it was, it was kind of a, a growing group around the technology that's being developed um, and a real opportunity to kind of get embedded with the business, which is what I always wanted, right? I, I want to be a counselor, not a contract maker. Um, and so I've been there for three years now and it's been, it's like, it's been an incredible ride, but certainly not a straight path, I would say. So I just want all the listeners that are listening to 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 recap what I'm dealing with here. I always get yelled at by by Rachel for being an overachiever, but let's just backtrack a second. You studied mechanical engineering, decided you didn't want to go to school or continue some kind of academic pursuit, so then went straight to law school, right? Because that was your answer. And then from law school, you decided that you were going to found in your free time, which you had none, um, a high and luxury fashion startup where you are hand making stuff, okay, and mailing it out by yourself on your lunch break. You kept doing that. Um, and then you went back to law. And from there, you were recruited at McKinsey uh, to, to be associate general counsel for a practice group that you essentially helped build and grow and are pioneering as a woman. So I don't know of the two of us, Rachel, who's the overachiever, but I certainly feel like it's not me and that it's you. And I, I, I mean, I, I think we have a lot to talk about here because every field that you've you've dabbled in has been so intensely male dominated. Mm. Even even fashion, by the way, even women's fashion, which you would think would be a woman's world, is totally. male dominated, right? So, so talk to me a little bit about first, what was it like being a woman and then a mom? You talked about being nine months pregnant with Layla at your last fashion week in fashion. And then what was it like being a woman and a mom at McKinsey and in law? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, I will say that you are still the overachiever, overachiever <laughs> between the two of us. So don't even get that twisted. But thank you for, <laughs> thank you for that summary. Um, you know, I think you make a really great point on kind of the, the different industries that I've tapped into and, um, uh, and and sort of how gender balance plays in there. Um, starting from where I am now, I will say that, you know, I think that there is a real push in the tech world to have women get a seat at the table. And, you know, there's sort of some, what I will call, you know, um, official pushes for that, right? Of like getting women up on the boards um, in certain states. And, and, and I think some, you know, some companies are obviously pushing for that in different ways, some more effectively than others. But um, I think we live in a, in a really interesting time around gender balance, at least um, within the, within the tech world and emerging tech, because I think, I think there is a real effort right now. Now, that being said, obviously, you know, you 
understanding where I work and and the clients that it has and thinking about, you know, just looking at public companies and and major private companies and who is on those boards and who's in the C-suite, you know, we have a really long way to go. Um, and most of the, you know, the, this was true in the law world of looking at the this, this sort of rainmaker and or kind of steering partners of most law firms, you're still you know, you, you're, you're still dealing with disparity there. And where, when you look at sort of like the incoming first year classes at a lot of those law firms, there is no disparity. So what happens? Of course, women drop off when they have to try and figure out how to have kids and bill 2,400 hours a year, right? And so this, that there, there's a break where we go to have kids and it becomes very difficult to balance the two. And obviously, you know, we are both like, same old, same old song and dance. This has been, you know, this has been the the sort of issue for a while um, for moms. But I think that there is a real, within the tech world at least, I feel like there is a real kind of drive to fix it. I will say that I don't. I I think that it's a tough nut to crack, right? I think that they. I think that some of the initiatives are helping, and some of them are not. And certainly, COVID with what moms have had to deal with and trying to balance all this. And, and you and I have, have dealt with it. We know people who have dealt with it, who have really struggled with the balance of, you know, having help, working from home, having to, you know, put jobs aside in order to really like keep the, keep the household um, uh, afloat. And, you know, there, there's been reports and, and McKinsey, I think has put out some, um, some, some findings around, the economic impact of what this is going to have for moms essentially having to be like it's a major break of we like we we gotta we gotta stay home we gotta help our kids we gotta go part-time we gotta take a sabbatical we have to do whatever um so i think that we're going to be solving for this for a long time a long time to come unfortunately Absolutely. And, and for those of you that are following us across social media, we, we regularly share some of the statistics around uh, working mothers in the workforce and the economic impact and, and the long term impact. Um, we recently released a statistic or shared it. Um, the economic impact of mothers leaving the workforce due to child care issues and child care concern is in the region of $64.5 billion. That's in real economic Lost. So it's not just, yeah. oh, you know, we, we look less diverse as a board or as a workforce. The economy is suffering because of the child care crisis. And Rachel, you mentioned it. It's not even an invisible burden. It is a very visible burden, but we don't have systems, structures, policies, protocols in place because you and I, we have kids in COVID. It's been a, a nightmare between, you know, managing the kids at home when they've gotten exposed, waiting for for test results, managing it, you know, clients and and conference calls, and even if you have a partner or a spouse that's remote, it's still on you as that's the right. mom, right? That's it's right. Still on you, and you know, one of the things that really aggravates me is when people say, "Oh, you know, you have a really helpful partner." They're not supposed to help your husband, <laughs> your spouse. They're not supposed to help. They're supposed to do alongside with you, right? That's right. Um, and, and that's something that we've been we've been struggling with. And so I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, as a mother, right? Um, you talked about you, you know, you you went to Fashion Week when you were pregnant. You you talked about, um, you know, balancing careers and how am I going to build twenty four hundred hours a year with children. What has your biggest struggle been and how have you mitigated that to, to manage both? Oof. God, that's a really great question. I mean, the most prevalent one, I think, is the guilt, right? Like I think there's a lot, there's a lot I can say about actual struggles or actual external struggles, I'll call it, because I think the guilt and sort of like the mental health crisis that comes with mom guilt, which I think it really can be, right? I think this can really affect you in a horrible way and can, you know, can affect your performance, can affect, you know, your relationships with your kids and your spouse. And um, I think that the the guilt of just like you're constantly trying to figure out what side of the balance you're on and whether it's right. So I'll, I'll give you an example. When COVID first hit um, and we first got sort of locked down, right? Whenever, when the kids came home, um, my job got 
insane, just blew up. It got insane. There was so much work going on. My husband um, is a prosecutor and the courts sort of shut down. So he went kind of like completely dead and I was like, you know, going a thousand miles an hour. And so he very much took on the burden of like, you know, the homeschooling for, you know, at that time Layla was in preschool and she's on Zoom and trying to get her to to to, to sort of sit still and pay attention. Um, and and our older one who was in first grade at the time. So he was kind of manning that and we still had a no pair at the time. Um, so they were sort of doing all that stuff. And I was literally sitting locked in my room for like 12, 14 hours a day. I'd like try and come down in between, but it was just, it was so intense and I felt horrible. I felt like we are going through a crisis and like a mental health crisis for my kids. And they did really well, right? I feel like the kids have in large part, at least mine have, I don't want to speak for everybody's kids, but I think have been, have, you know, we've been pleasantly surprised how well they've done through it. I think that we'll have stuff that we'll need to deal with when we come out of this and they learn how to like re-engage outside of a pandemic. But but for the time being, everything is, everything is better than I would have expected. Um, but that sort of the, the constantly questioning if you're prioritizing the right thing, I think for like the majority of last year was just like emotionally exhausting to me. And, and I'll tell you that I think one of the, one of the keys for me in getting through that is learning how to be vulnerable. And like you and I do this over text a lot, which is why, I mean, I adore you for so many reasons. I adore this part especially of just like feeling seen of just like, okay, you got it. Like you, you know, you can mock the little bags that I sent my Valentine's out in because I know you do it from a place of love. And it's like, it's this, it's this like shared vulnerability of like, we're trying, we're trying here. And I have a very good friend at work who we do that on the regular. Like she will tell me when she's falling apart and, and she's technically my boss, but we like, we just, we, we work so closely together and we have since I started having the ability to be vulnerable with somebody who understands exactly what you're going through. And her kids are like a few years ahead of, ahead of mine. So she's like, here's what you have to look forward to. Like, wait until they both get it. And she was, what she was telling me last year, she's like, wait till Layla gets to kindergarten. It'll be so much easier. Like just, just give yourself, you know, the, the grace to realize that you're not, you can't do it all right now. Like you gotta, you gotta keep the, the, the boat afloat. You gotta keep going to work and your kids are taken care of and they're doing great. And like, you got to find ways to connect on the weekends as much as you can and, and come down for breaks and stuff like that. But it like that vulnerability, I think is so key. Cause if you try and look like super mom all the time, you know, it just, you, you like crumble inside. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that's so right because, you know, I, and this is something that, that makes me really emotional because, you know, I, I talk about this a lot that, Oftentimes, when we're talking about women helping other women, that yeah. help is not there. The misogyny is, is the call is coming from inside the house, I always yeah. say, right? Yeah. It's women. And, and, you know, what you just talked about, and it's why I, I, I absolutely love you too, is, is just because it's always working mothers that are supporting other working mothers. And, yeah. um, you, you know, it's, it's, you know, you mentioned the Valentine's. So for those of you that are listening, so, you know, Valentine's day, we had to, we had to make these goodie bags for the kids. And, you know, of course, you know, there, there were, there are many mothers that make exceptional goodie bags and I am not one of them. And I didn't have, you know, the cute plastic bags with the hearts and, you know, I, I sent my husband to like the 99 cent store to get like random bunches of stuff. And there was like a no food rule. And like, I may or may not have stuck an unauthorized <laughs> lollipop in it. And, 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 and I didn't have a contraband. I didn't have a bag and I put it in a Ziploc bag and I just said, well, this is the shame of the suburbs and the shame on my ancestors. And I texted to Rachel and Rachel texted me back with a sandwich bag that she's written with red permanent marker on um, to tell me you are not alone. And we just kind of virtually high fived our innovation and ingenuity. And, um, and, and, and that's what's going on. And, and also just to, you know, if, if, if you were to ask me, Rachel, how am I balancing? I would tell you very badly because for those of you that are listening, Rachel and I have kids that are in the same class. And that I just discovered this maybe two weeks ago. She sent me a Christmas card. I have it hanging in my in my kitchen. Well, I, yeah, I no, no. we discovered, discovered it. 
We well, discovered no, it. You knew this. You knew this. You apparently knew this. I didn't know five months into the school year, my friend has a child in the same class as my kids. So in case anyone's wondering how things are going here, not well <laughs> at all. Okay. Not well at all. But I want to talk about, you know, let's talk about the PTA, right? Yep. And Rachel, you know, and, and, and I don't want to get emotional talking about this, but Rachel, you may not realize, but you have been such a source of moral support for me through some of the really difficult things we've we've had to deal with in the PTA here. Um, and the PTA, you know, the, again, the Parent Teacher Association, it, it's a well-meaning entity. It's meant to keep everybody together, the bake sales and, and, and whatnot. And it's hard enough for a working parent, right? The timings don't work. We can't make things from scratch. I have ShopRite cupcakes that I send in. I don't even take the price tag off. I'm just like, let's not even pretend I made these, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, but how, how have you reconciled your experience with that mom guilt where you want to be involved in school, but you just, you can't because these, these structures don't accommodate working parents. Yeah. What has your experience been? Yeah, well, I will tell you, I, it it feels very much a work in progress to me. And and you know the, the the funny story of you and I having kids in in class this year. I mean, I think it is it's hilarious, but it also feels very this year where it's it's that much harder to be connected with what's going on at school because we're obviously we're not allowed in. There's no events there. Like usually, you'd at least even if you were you know, your, your job was preventing you from really contributing to the PTA. At least you could be there every once in a while and go to game night or whatever, pizza night, go to the book fair and things like that. And none of that is really existing this year. So it feels like the only kind of continuity other than the dance party that happened last night, which was wonderful, but you know, it's our kids in front of iPads, not us connecting. So the only continuity feels like the PTA in some senses, right? Like the only real ability to kind of like engage at school is the PTA, but it also feels like if you are not kind of engaged on multiple, if you're not like triangulating from a few different points on the PTA, then you you feel a little out of the loop anyway because there there's just a lot of overlap. And um, and I remember at one point I asked, like I, I mentioned in passing to my husband that I was like, uh, yeah, no one's ever like asked me to be a class mom. I wonder, you know, like like a little bit like a little bummy. And he was like, would you want to be one though? And I'm like, no, I just feel like I should. I just feel like it's what I'm supposed to do. But like, honestly, and you are, and you're, you're wonderful at it. I am like, the worst. I did not have any idea. And I'm just so embarrassed right now. I am one of two class moms and I am totally not pulling my weight in any way, shape or form. And my co class mom definitely hates me and definitely has a voodoo doll of me at home that I would absolutely not blame her for sticking pins in because uh -oh. I am the worst, the worst class parent ever. I am never signing up for it ever again. I don't see, I, I, I view that differently. I think there are some, you know, I think there are some moms on the flip side of this equation and, you know, I'm, I'm certainly friends with, with a couple of them who sort of are, you know, like are happy to kind of pick up the slack for us, right? Like, and, but, but that takes a lot of trust and, and kind of mutual respect. And, and, and that can really be hard to come by again, if you're not being vulnerable with one another around, like, you know, we as working moms are, are kind of thinking, how do we balance it all? How does, how, how can we do all these things? And, you know, at least from my experience with talking with some of the, some of the moms on the other side are like, you know, am I, am I slacking? Am I doing enough? Like my kids are getting older. Shouldn't I be kind of working or whatever? Like, it's just, there, there's never, I want to say the grass is always greener, but it's not that. I don't think it's like internal to us. I think it's just like societal pressures coming from all sides and you can never solve for all of them. Right. So I think you just lean it where, where somebody is picking up, you know, the slack for you. I think you lean into that and just like, again, vulnerability, like I'm trying here. I want like put my name on whatever you need me to put my name on, send a, emails out with my name on it. It's totally fine. You know, I want to be supportive, but like I only got so many hours in the day and, and this, and especially this year, it's like, you never sure what's coming around the bend. Like, I feel like my time is eaten up in a, in a different way than it has been any other year. 
um, and also in ways that I sort of can't anticipate. So, you know, it's just like we're surviving, right? It's a pandemic. We got to all give each other a break. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's, that's absolutely right. You know, extending grace to each other, but also to ourselves, right? Totally. Gi- giving ourselves a little grace and, and, you know, we struggle, like I struggle a lot with how involved should I be in the schools? Because there's a balance. You need to be involved in the schools, you know, from from a perspective of ensuring your child's academic, social, emotional well-being. Yep. Um, but then also being a part of the school community, because if I wasn't, I would have never met you, Rachel, right? Yeah, so, exactly. So, so, but how do I reconcile that? Because there are a lot of moms out there that want to, but can't. We have the privilege that we can, right? right? But there are many that can't, and they feel that crippling guilt. So what would you say to the working moms that, that are struggling with not being able to be involved with the PTA and, and with the school events because they have jobs that don't allow them to? Yeah. No, I think it's it, it's absolutely right. And it's a great push. Um you know, I think one of the things that I at least lean on outside of the the PTA connectivity is just trying to get, you know, your, your different networks of moms that you can rely on to be like reading the emails and doing the work for you in some senses, right? Like, I don't know if you have this, but there's a couple of like, and varying cross sections of my life, but people that I know are sort of doing the research and reading the three different emails that come out. Because, you know, we get these emails from the school and it's like, there's there's a, there's the newsletter and then there's the click through to Google Classroom and then there's like stuff on Seesaw and there's like, you know, PDFs that come out. And my, I, I well, first of all, I hate email, but I also am completely overwhelmed by it. So I will often just text somebody that I, depending on where it is and what, what, what I'm actually, what information I'm looking for, I'm texting somebody else who I know has done the work. And I know it's also kind of, you know, there's, there's certain moms that are like very academically inclined and, and kind of keeping tabs even when our kids are this little. And then there's like moms who are kind of keeping tabs on more of like the social PTA, whatever, and just trying to leverage, you know, those relationships of, uh, you know, kind of give and take, like splitting up the work essentially, right? Like I will, I will do every once in a while, I'll do like organizational stuff. I will, I like to, to make things. So I will do like bake sale stuff and stuff like that, just because it's in my nature. I like to like bake stuff. Although I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about the the cake that I baked for the fall festival last year. Um, but I think, I think when we start to, to again, be vulnerable with each other and identify like, these are my strengths, not explicitly, but you sort of like form these relationships. Like these are my strengths. These are your strengths. You know, let's feel like you figure out if we can sort of divide and conquer because for every mom to read every email and be part of every event. It's just like, it's like, I almost dropped an F-bomb. It's exhausting. It's so exhausting. So we need to kind of like help each other, you know, split up the work. Absolutely. And I think you just, you just articulated something that a lot of us do even unknowingly. It's that, you know, okay, this person is going to know about X and Rachel's going to know about Y and Zabine's not going to know about anything, so don't text Zabine. So, so I mean, that's and I'm the class parent this mom and people this this year and people are texting me. I'm like, I'm sorry, I have no idea. You know, like it's I am like that's not true. You totally no. you totally answered a question for me. You oh did. my, it's probably only because I needed to know myself, so I went out <laughs> and and texted somebody. And and but but you're absolutely right. And you know when we're talking about emails and this is the disconnect between a lot of the culture that working parents are used to and the pace at which we move and. Decide disseminate information. Like I can send you a text like, Hey, get this, you know, Z and I don't need, hello, Rachel. How are you? Hope you, I mean, like, you know, I don't need, and and there's no misunderstanding that I'm like being short, right? Like send me the bulleted point list, you know, with phrases, I'll decipher it. It's totally fine. But this is the disconnect because a lot of the emails were were bombarded with really long emails and is it a snow day or is it not a snow day? Right. Like what, what's going on here? And answer, if it's this week, it is a snow day. Right. Right. (laughs) And and I mean, but it's so crazy. And, And that's, that's one of the many disconnects is, you know, a lot of the activities are done during times where working moms can't commit or have requirements where that working moms can't give, or even the pace at which things move are much slower than than what we're accustomed to in the corporate world right i mean yeah. this could, a meeting that could have been an email an email that could have been a two word text message a two word text message that didn't have to be sent if you just kind of critically thought a little bit and did it yourself yeah. you know so 
And, and you know, one of the things that I'll share with, with those listening, the, the way Rachel and I met was at the diversity committee um, at, at the PTA. Um, and, and I want to talk about that Rachel is very humble because she is professionally incredibly accomplished. She is um, creatively um, and design-wise incredibly brilliant. Um, she's doing an amazing job raising her kids, but she's also just a really good person. And I talked about this earlier um, because I'm not a good person. Like I'll, let's, I, I think we need to just really put that out there. Like I am not a good person, but I Rachel, totally object to that, but keep no, <laughs> but, but Rachel is just, and then I talked about this. She was such a source of support for me because you know, on top of the PTAs catering to stay at home parents, right? On top of that, it also caters to a certain demographic of suburban moms. And if we're being honest in the suburbs, it's, it's white moms, right? And yeah. I, Zabine Mirza, for those of you that cannot see me or know me, sound like a not white mom and I am not a white mom, right? And so the diversity committee was, was built to start broadening participation, start including parents of color. And one of the things that that the committee, and I think it's not just this committee, but diversity committees and efforts everywhere really struggle is the pace at which things must change. Yeah, And um, it's not just for working moms, but it's for any marginalized or underrepresented demographic, whether it's working moms, moms of color, we need to see meaningful impact in a timeline that is meaningful, right? So not yep. 10 years down the line, but right now. So this is all long-winded way of me asking you, Rachel, how do you as a mom that is, you know, very driven, professionally very accomplished, how do you make time to extend that grace, give the support to other working moms like you have given to me? How do you teach that to your kids? Because one of the things I worry about is, are my kids going to talk about me to their therapist in 10 years? <laughs> you know, and yeah. this is what we worry about. Am I doing the right thing? It's not enough to just make a lot of money and, and achieve. We want to be good people and teach our kids to do the same. What are you doing? Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, there's so many threads in there, but I'll say that, you know, my, uh, one of my biggest motivations in joining the committee, so specifics for a second, um, was my oldest son and son are, are, are good buddies, right? And I think that given, given like the pandemic, making it much harder for them to spend time together, I, I wanted to be personally supportive, right? And I'm like, this will be a good way for me to just, you know, make sure that I am trying to think through from the white mother's perspective, how can I make sure that like, I am, I'm, I'm here, I'm an ally, I'm showing up like, but I, I, I want my voice to be heard, but only in the sense of making sure that I'm amplifying and supporting the voices that really need to be heard. Um, and that hopefully that will in and of itself teach my son who, you know, who he will need to do this for his friends and my daughter and, and they will need it themselves in certain ways. But certainly when it comes to this issue, that they will be there for, you know, their their friends and their classmates when these things start happening that we know do happen. Right. That's happened in our like it, it's happened in our school district. It happens everywhere. You know, whatever. I'm, I'm not I'm not kind of exposing something here. But um, uh, I I think it it feels like a responsibility of me as a white mom to, to, to figure out how to be a, a useful part of this conversation or a useful tool, a useful stepping stone, a useful, you know, like voice in the conversation where possible, but also just to show up and say like, I'm an ally, right? So whatever, let, let, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of chime in wherever I can be helpful. Um, and obviously, or not obviously, maybe, but I grew up in in Michigan, um, in um, you know a, a liberal part of Michigan. But a liberal part of Michigan is still pretty like conservative on the balance. And um, I grew up with you know largely white, largely Christian um, kind of surroundings. And it's part of why I wanted to come and live in New York City, right? I wanted like a different, I wanted a different existence for my kids and for me, and truthfully, it was, it was probably the hardest thing about leaving the city and coming to the burbs. I'm like, this is what it was all for, right? It was all for them going to schools where they'd have like really, you know, 
like diversity across the board in every which way, economic, you know, uh, including economic, which is I feel like, you know, we're largely lacking here now. But um, so I think wherever there are opportunities to lean into being a part of, you know, having a more sort of uh, like getting rid of the fragmentation that occurs in our community. I want my kids and my family to be a part of that. So that was kind of my motivation for, you know, for being on this particular committee. I think, um, uh, I, you know, I, th I think being a part of this, like of the PTA I, and, and kind of having this be a, having that be a part of like what we are required to be as parents and as, as moms, I'm going to start letting go of that. Cause I just feel like it, 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 exactly what you said is true. It often is really hard for us to do our lives and be a part of it. And so I'm going to like try wherever I can. I'm going to try to be engaged wherever I can, but like give myself the the forgiveness to not be, and you know, not be on the roll call, not be like named, but show up wherever I can. And I want to be that support for other working parents or not working parents. You know, like there are also you know, parents who are dealing with, who are full-time caring for sick loved ones and they can't be on the PTA for that reason. So I think it's just like trying to meet everybody where their lives are and trying to say like, hey, we like, let's try and, let's try and tap into that one person who can stay on the PTA of our, of our group here. And like, you know, everybody else just kind of give us this, give each other the support that we need. I think that this idea that we all need to be involved and we all like, it, it is a very sort of, upper middle class suburban thing of just like this is part of you know you're supposed to play tennis and you're supposed to be on the pta and you know roller skating isn't the thing that you're supposed to be doing although we are still going to roller skate but um i think i think we need to kind of like sunset it a little bit right and give what we can i think so and and i think you're you're totally right and, and a number of things that you mentioned are so important for for people that are listening you know rachel talks about you know uniting fragments of, of people in groups together, amplifying voices and important issues. And this isn't just about societal or social justice issues. These are things that are going to help you at work professionally. If you are able to be a unifier at work, if people see you as an effective and efficient leader, somebody that is thoughtful, somebody that is influential, not necessarily by title or seniority, but just that people respect and value um, your presence and your and your thinking. And, you know, for, for when you study change management, for example, and I, I won't get into the theory, but they, you know, when you want to institute a, a major organizational change, they always they always group the people within an organization in different classes. So there are innovators and then there are early adopters and there's an early majority, a late majority, there are laggards. So there's there's different groups. And I'll just talk about, I'll talk about the innovators. These are the people in an organization that are always willing to change, embrace change, ready. New idea, I'm with you. They don't want to, they don't care about the race. They don't care about anything. They are on your side. Brilliant. Let's go. These people are good to have on your side, but they're not influential because they're the type of person that if you are dating somebody and you ask your friend, what did you think? She'll say, oh, I like him. He's nice. But then you say, oh, but you think everybody's nice, right? All innovation is good. All change yeah. is great. So those people are great to have on your side, but they're not necessarily seen as influencers. Whereas if you're looking at the early adopters, these are the people that do their due diligence. They're thoughtful. They think they are, you know, doing the research, weighing the risk risks, doing the analysis. And I feel like, and they are the influencers because people will say, well, if Rachel thinks this, what does Rachel think? If Rachel thinks this, then, then I'm on board. And I feel like that's where a lot of us working moms fall in our community, um, where the onus is on us, um, maybe not to be as hyper involved as we often feel judged or guilted yeah. into being, but to be, to be that voice of measured thinking to say, is this really important versus is this something that can be done differently and how can I support and where am I most useful? And I think that's one of the ways 
where the PTA in their effort, if they want to be more inclusive of the community, can start reaching out to, to all parents of, of different working statuses to say, you know, these are the ways that you can be involved. These are the different types of uh, commitments. And we would love for you to be involved in however way that you can. And it's not just about paying dues and sending in cookies. It's it's more than that. And, and that yeah. is appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. And truthfully, I mean, I love, I love, love, love that point. And I'm thinking like <laughs> staring at you and I on the screen, I'm like, we should be giving, we should be telling them how to do that. Right. Cause I think the other, the other problem is that you have the, the PTA is just, is just people, right. It's just, it's just parents and it can, it can become its own echo chamber of the folks who are able to be so involved as to also lead the PTA might not be dealing with the stuff that we're dealing with in the, in the life balance area. And so they just might not even be thinking about it. So there, there is like part of what I think would be helpful for us, you know, us proper, like all of us in thinking through how to make, you know, the, 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 the PTA experience a more fulsome one going forward um, is just to, you know, is, is to think about how we can distill it down to, like get it out of its Facebookiness, if I can say that, right? Because like even sometimes the emails, it's like everybody's so either either nervous to make a a change and make a decision, or it becomes this sort of like picking apart everybody's you know conversations. And this isn't quite what I said, but I said this, and it feels like a little, it feels like a Facebook exchange where you're like, we're not advancing the ball at all, right? We're just like talking in circles, and I feel like distilling it down to like, okay, let's like, let's step back from our emotions and say like, why are we not, let's, let's take it back to the diversity committee. Why do we feel like we're not making progress? Because on one hand, you're talking about school curriculum for elementary kids, and that should be a high bar to change it. It should be right. But like, how can we systematically think about, yes, it's a high bar, but we know that these changes need to be made. So let's meet on those individual on those individual decisions, as opposed to just sort of like, you know, this side's digging in their heels and this side thinks that the, that the digging in the heels, you're not working fast enough and it just becomes this clash. If we kind of distill it down to these are the facts, the facts are this is a high bar and can we define what that bar is? So then we can talk about like individual and then like you iterate towards something better as opposed to it being these sort of like diametrically side, you know, the, 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 these sort of two sides that just don't ever seem like they can really meet in the middle. So um, I, not that we need more on our plate because we certainly don't, but I do feel like it is something, it is something that, you know, working parents can continue to think about as we participate in the conversation of just like calling our shot and saying like, this is what I need to be involved here. Like, this is what that looks like for me realistically. Like, I'm not going to be on a biweekly call at six o'clock at night because I just, I just can't commit to that and I'm just gonna disappoint you. So like, here's what I can do. Here's the thing that I think I can contribute to. I'm gonna do like a micro, you know, we're gonna do two, two times a year, we're gonna do like a little design sprint for two hours one night and we're gonna like come up with some great ideas and then we're gonna pass it off to some folks that we like, you know, trust to kind of execute and iterate towards completion. You know, I think that there's probably something about bringing exactly what you said, like bring the skills that we kind of deal with every day at work to the PTA and kind of like getting it, getting it to a place where we're kind of working on the same playing field. And that's, that's exactly it. You know, it's everybody laughs at me, but even in my house, you know, my, my, my husband says, you're the CEO of the house, right? Everybody's got KPIs. They've got key performance indicators. I'm, my, my three-year-old, right? My six-month-old doesn't yet, but my three-year-old's got KPIs. And I think that's exactly right. I think we have to teach them how to work with us, right? Because I think a lot of them are waiting for our lead to say, all right, what are the tasks? What are the yeah. timelines? What are the KPIs? What are next steps? Who's going to own this? And on one hand, the onus is on us to set that framework, but the PTA, the onus has to be on them to meet that because if totally. they really want to be inclusive, you have to also meet us, right? If we're putting it out there that this is what we need, these are the timelines, these are the goals, KPIs, responsibilities, what's next? We want to be involved, but this is the way that we can be involved, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we have to teach them. So the, the next thing that I want to talk about and just, you know, 
uh, taking a step back to talk about your career, there there are women that are listening to this that are are, are aspiring either designers. Um, fashion entrepreneurs um, that are aspiring lawyers that are looking to move into on the corporate side, maybe a counsel um, position or even pursue law firm, um, uh, legal work at, at a law firm. What advice would you give them as, as a mom, as a working mother? Um, what would you give them in terms of how to succeed, how to advocate for yourself and how to move up in, in, in a field that very much doesn't accommodate women and let alone mothers? Yeah. Um, so one of the, one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten in the last few years and kind of put into play in my own career is to call your shot and then over deliver on it. So, so saying, you know, at the beginning of the year, here is what I plan to do or, or at the beginning of a project or whatever it is, ideally, that's something that you've kind of come up with on your own of seeing like, Hey, I see X and Y. If I did Z in the middle, you know, we'd save this much money, we'd be this much faster, we'd like have this much more innovation, it would open up bandwidth for our team to do X, Y, and Z and publish and da, 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 da. Identifying that, vocalizing it, which I think is something that men do all the time of like, this is what I'm doing. And this is why it's so great. And it's so hard for, for whatever reason, I, you know, psychology, I'm sure is there, I don't know it. But for some reason, it's very hard for us as women to be like, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I expect from it, right? So I think it's very helpful to say to the extent possible, I'm going to do this thing. I'm looking for a raise. I'm going to do this thing. I'm looking to move up. I'm going to do these two things. And I'm hoping that next year you're going to consider me for you know this advancement. Or I want to develop this new service line, this new avenue. I want to build this thing and to identify it and, and like and essentially like put a proposal together, however that works in your industry. But and really just call the shot. And then I there was I, I was listening to a podcast last week with a CEO and I should remember who it was, but I don't and I will find it and I will like send it to you so at least you have the name. But but the the this idea that the way that you excel in the workplace is to sort of get an A plus, right? Like to to do what you've been told to the best degree is not right. What the way that you do like that you advance is you sort of you do what's been identified and you sort of like optimize for that, I guess, right? Like you get that done and you do it well, of course, but it's sort of like get it done and then figure out how you can like overshoot on that, right? And keep identifying how you've overshot on that. I think that like, I think re rejiggering our brain to say, it's not just about like, oh, I, I have the most FaceTime. I work the most hours. I'm like doing everything they said exactly perfectly. Like that doesn't light people up as to what leaders look like. What leaders look like is like, I'm so far past that, right? And not like in a, it's not a work more, it's a work smarter, right? It's, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a figuring out what is actually the thing that drives the impact. And I'll tell you, and then I'll stop, but one of the biggest shifts for me from going from big law into management consulting is like this, you know, obviously I was part of the, of the product of big law, right? Like the hours that I spent you know, translated directly into money. So you understand why billable hours were a thing, but it was like the focus of that, like that whole model is not whether or not you're actually good at your job, right? It's just right. sort of like, just bang out, like be there, be on work all weekend, work late. Like that is the focus. And then transitioning into like, this is purely about impact. Like the only thing that matters at the end of the year is like, can you show that you've like, you've like you've created impact, you've done something cool, you've really identified like a new, a new formula for getting things done. I feel like that, that brain shift for me was so helpful. Um, and I think, and I think it makes our jobs more fun, right? Like when you can actually just say like, what, what can I do that will show that I can do, you know? Yeah. And, and I think for everybody listening, I think this is so important. We talked about translating your you know, your framework for success and your drivers for success into, into, the, into the, the areas of our lives outside of work, like the PTA, like our community, right? Telling them about your KPIs and your deadlines, but also this is a way you advocate for yourself at work. It doesn't have to be about how many thousands of hours you put in, because as Rachel correctly mentioned, just because you put in 3,000 hours doesn't mean you put in 3,000 good hours, right? Yeah. So, so verbalize, for all of you listening, verbalize what you've done 
right? And verbalize what you want to do and put it out, you know, not to sound like, you know, new age spiritual, but put it out, put it out in the universe and put it out, say it out loud. So the people that have the power to make those things real for you, they know that this is on your plate. And you know what? Somebody once told me something, they won't know unless you tell them they're not psychic. Tell them, this is what I've done. This is what I want to do. This is how I want you to help me get there. These are the these are the supports that I require in order for me to bridge that gap. This is a way that we as moms, as women, as as people at at work in our careers but in our communities and in our marriages and our relationships, we advocate for ourselves. It's not just about standing up uh, against injustice of which there is plenty against women, mothers, marginalized uh, groups of people. It's not just about standing up. Advocacy comes in many ways, including being an advocate for yourself. And nobody's going to push you up the ladder unless you make it clear you want to be moving up that ladder and you yep. make it clear how you need to be helped up that ladder. Um, we, we can't expect people um, to know that, especially when we are in a corporate structure that is built um, from a patriarchy, from by men, for men, you know, um, it needs to, it, there's going to be growing pains. We need to change it from within. We cannot be scared uh, to, to speak totally. up. Yeah, um, and so um, as we're wrapping up here, Rachel, just in one sentence, I guess, you know, my, my mantra, is, that's something that I feel like I'm repeating all day to my kids, you know, because I'm, I'm constantly making mistakes and messing up and dropping. It's, it's I'm not perfect, but I'm trying my best. I'm not perfect, yeah. but I'm trying my best. One sentence. What's your mantra? Oh, <laughs> is that is that it? Is it the big heavy sigh? I mean, that's certainly the most used one these days. Oh, geez. <laughs> As something comes crashing down. No, I mean, I think, you know, I I think the my mantra, I guess, every day is just like, don't I don't want to regret not trying, right? Yeah. Which has always been sort of the way that I approach life. But I think especially now of just like just try it. We, you won't, you might screw up. You might have to kind of like fix things along the way, but just try. And then, you know, we'll, we'll sort it out later. What you don't ever want to have happen is, you know, I regret that I didn't even give it a shot and what could have happened. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm a type A perfectionist, which means my life has been a living hell made by myself of my own design. Um, But, but, you know, the, the perfect is the enemy of the good. And this is something I need to tell myself constantly, you know, just try, just keep trying. Um, Perfection. It's not even about perfection. It's about showing up and and just trying. Um, And, and and so fun too, right? Like, I mean, we want to be, we want to live a fun life. We want to have fun friends. Like nobody really likes perfection. They like to look at perfection. So who do you really want to (laughs) be? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. There is no perfect. So Rachel Dooley, um, brilliant, brilliant lawyer, brilliant consultant, brilliant designer, brilliant friend, brilliant human being. Thank you so much for being here on Moms at Work with me today. So fun, man. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. And for those of you that are listening, please be sure to follow along on social media and to subscribe to the podcast. And of course, if you aren't already, subscribe at jobs.mom for our newsletter, for all updates, news, um, and invites uh, invites for upcoming launch events. Jobs.mom is, of course, launching officially on March 1st. Um, As you all know, I wish you well. Stay safe, stay sane, and we'll see you next time. Follow us on social media, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and check out more episodes at jobs.mom slash moms at work.